This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, finally, some good news for President Biden and the Democrats on the economic front. But will it be enough to help them in the November midterm elections? Finally freed from COVID isolation, President Biden's last week has been filled with surprises, including a July jobs report with double the number of expected jobs. Unemployment is now at a half century low, equal to what it was pre-pandemic. And the smile on his face this morning? At long last, there is unity among Senate Democrats when it comes to supporting a long-stalled bill designed to help fight climate change, cut health care costs, and raise taxes on corporations. But there are more challenges ahead for Mr. Biden, including a national public health crisis with rapidly spreading monkeypox cases and new backlash from the Chinese following Speaker Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. Finally, campaign 22 is shaping up as a highly unusual one. We'll look at the Trump impact that's influencing Republican primary candidates and the tactics Democrats are using to try and defeat them. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. As we come on the air, the Senate is poised to make the biggest investment to fight global warming in history with the hopes of reducing carbon emissions 40 percent by 2030. This long stalled bill will now expand credits for the manufacture and purchase of electric vehicles, fund rebates for energy efficient appliances, allocate money to fight drought in western states and help vulnerable communities impacted by climate change. The bill also cuts health care costs by lowering premiums and extending subsidies, and it caps out-of-pocket Medicare drug costs for seniors at $2,000 a year. To pay for all of that spending, the bill calls for a 15% corporate minimum tax on companies that book income of more than a billion dollars a year and will provide money for the IRS to crack down on tax enforcement. With the Senate split 50-50 between the parties, Vice President Kamala Harris is expected to break the tie, which would give Democrats a much-needed boost headed into the November midterm elections. And we go now to Capitol Hill and Florida Senator Rick Scott, who is in between votes on the Senate floor. He's also the head of the Republican Senate Campaign Committee, working to retake control of the Senate. Senator Scott, good morning. I know you have been up all night, uh, so I appreciate you joining this morning. Hope I'm con- I hope I'm coherent. <laughs> 
Well, I, you know, it, no matter what, it does not look like there is any way to stop what is expected to be a very big win here for, for Democrats. And I know you're opposed to it, but I want to press you on that because isn't expanding Medicare access good for a state like yours, which has more residents uh, reliant on the Affordable Care Act than any other state? And Republicans like reducing the deficit. The CBO says this will reduce it by $100 billion over the next decade. Isn't there some good stuff in here for you, too? So, Margaret, here's the way I look at it. Uh, Right now, this bill actually ought to be called the War on um, Seniors Act. I mean, this is a war on Medicare. You look at this. This is a $280 billion cut in Medicare. So what's going to happen is Medicare is going to get cut, and there's going to be seniors that don't get life-saving drugs because the reducing Medicare not be able to have is not to, the same as reducing to, benefits, though. You, you know that. Margaret, it's $280 billion that would have been spent. It was anticipated to be spent. It's not going to be spent now. And the drug companies that would be doing more research are not going to be able to spend the money on research. There will be life-saving drugs that seniors will not get. On top of that, I mean, they're going to raise taxes by over $700 billion. And let's remember, companies don't end up paying the taxes. Shareholders paying the taxes. Lower income for the employees pay the taxes. Less investment pays the taxes. Mm -hmm. So this $700 billion is actually going to hurt the economy. And then while gas prices are $2 more than they were when Joe Biden took office, there's an excise tax on gas. So why would you, you know, we're in a recession. Why would you be increasing the cost of government, increasing taxes? So yes. the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget called your claim there that you just reiterated um, uh, in terms of Medicare spending completely misleading. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office estimates that just about 1% of new drugs would be affected by uh, the changes there on, on drug development. So how do you respond 1%. to that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. What if it's your grandmother, is not 1% important? If, there's, if, if, it impacts, if it impacts a life-saving drug that we could do now, uh, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be cutting Medicare like this. I don't believe it. And, and by the way, we, we shouldn't be raising taxes ever, but especially in a recession. And why would we be raising the taxes um, on gas right now when it's $2 above what it was when Joe Biden took office. This is going to continue to drive us into um, a further, a bigger recession than we are. Look at where we are right now. Labor participation rates low. Wages not stable with inflation. Two quarters of negative GDP. I mean, we, this is, Joe Biden's pushed us and this, these plans are pushing us into a recession. So I think we've got to we've got to stop raising taxes. We've got to make it easier for businesses to build their businesses, compete, and we'll get more jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we just had that stellar July jobs number, um, but we're going to dig into the specifics of that ahead with economist Mary Daly. Let me talk to you about the politics of all of this. Republicans have been hoping to ride the high inflation we are at, and it is historic high, and President Biden's low approval ratings to a win in November. But the president and Democrats just had a really good streak here. Gas prices are down. Uh, You have this massive spending bill going through. Uh, These are a lot of big wins for Democrats. The president just authorized that strike to take out the leader of al Qaeda. Isn't this going to get harder for Republicans to get the edge that you are trying to manufacture here? Well, you know, that sounds good, right? But that's a, that's a White, Ho- White House talking point. But let's think about this. Um, 72% of Americans believe we're heading the wrong track. Biden's numbers are in the tank. Um, and if you look at all the Democrats, uh, all the Democrats running, they have to basically, they're a surrogate for Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer. 
I mean, they have to defend inflation, high gas prices, um, you know, the Afghan withdrawal, an open border, uh, critical race theory, defunding the police. That's what they have to defend because that's what the that's what the, that's what Biden's known for, and that's what that's basically what de uh, Democrats are known for. Now, it's going to be you know, look. This it's an election year. It's going to be a, a hard year. We have 21 Republicans up, only 14 Democrats. Mm -hmm. The Democrats are out racing us, but we have good candidates, and I believe Joe Biden is going to be our key here. You said it'll be a hard year. I want to play for you what Republican leader Mitch McConnell told Fox last week. I think it's going to be a very tight. We have a 50-50 Senate now. We have a 50-50 nation. And I think when this Senate race smoke clears, we're likely to have a very, very close Senate still with either us up slightly or the Democrats up slightly. If things are so bad, then why is it going to be so tight for Republicans? Well, first off, we have we have very good candidates. I mean, the Democrats are raising good money. Uh, so we've got to be able to get our message out. So. You know, we, we have to raise our money. We have to work, uh, work hard. You know, we went through a lot of primaries. Uh, so, but I believe we're gonna, I believe we're gonna win, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be hard. We gotta raise our money. We gotta work really hard. Our candidates have to work really hard. Everybody uh, has gotta help our candidates, but I, I'm optimistic. So, but you do agree it, it's going to be tight, that Republicans have at best uh, a slight edge? I'm, I'm very optimistic, uh, I, but, I, but I'm, I'm realistic that, you know, you have to raise your money. Democrats are raising good money. Joe Biden is, a, is our key here. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this bill is not going to help Democrats. It's going to help Republicans. Raising taxes $700 billion, cutting Medicare $280 billion, raising gas taxes, uh, having 87,000 more IRS agents. You know how, much IRA, how happy people are to have more IRS agents out there? I mean, this is not, not going to be popular around the country. In a local radio interview in July, you talked a lot about your, your business uh, as an executive, and you said we should start electing people that we would hire. In Georgia, Herschel Walker, Republican Senate candidate, uh, has lied about the number of children he has, uh, about his business dealings. His ex-wife said he held a gun to her head and said, I'm going to blow your effing brains out. In Arizona, the candidate Blake Masters called the Unabomber an underrated thinker. He said that al-Qaeda doesn't actually pose substantial threat to Americans. I mean, I've got a list of candidates here who've had some and said some pretty troubling things. Would you hire these people to work for you? Well, you'd go through each person, and but I'm not the one doing it. It's the voters of those states are doing it. The voters of those states are going to make a choice. You're trying want. to help Senate Republicans and lead them to victory. These are your candidates. So, you know, Margaret, as you remember, the, the voters in Arizona choose who they're going, to, they're going to vote. And what they're going to choose is they're going to choose between Blake Master and Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly has voted to keep the border open. He's never voted for border security. He's voted for the tax increases. He's voted for cutting Medicare. You know, he's, he's voted with Chuck Schumer and with Joe Biden basically 100% of the time. Warnick's got the same problem. This election is going to be about Joe Biden. Um, and so this election is going to be about all the bad things that have happened. This, the fact that we're going into recession, the fact that, you know, inflation's at 9%, the fact that gas prices are up uh, $2, all these things. That's what people are looking at. They're, they're, but these are, these are saying, your Senate Republican candidates. These are your candidates. And the voters of each of these states, the voters of these states are going to decide if they're going to hire. Now, I get to vote, I get to vote in, in uh, Florida, and that's how I think about it. But the voters in those states will choose in yeah. those states who they want. And it's a choice between two people. 
But there, you look, the, all, the, mm -hmm. all the Democrat nominees are, are, are basically Biden clones. Yeah. I mean, you know, and by the way, they won't but campaign if with but Biden. But if you are, none I mean, you would Martin acknowledge. Martin, you would acknowledge that Biden if somebody went in Biden, for an interview Margaret, for a private corporation, of, these things Biden, would come no up as Biden. red flags to HR. So Margaret, it's just. Biden is not campaigning with anybody because he is, he is, he's toxic. That's how the voters think. That's why they say 72% of Americans say the economy's in the wrong track. When that happens, people say, I'm going to take a serious look at somebody else, right? And our candidates yeah. have to go tell them what they're going to do, and we're going to make sure that everybody knows exactly who, are, who the Democrats are. That's, what, that's what's going to happen all across the country, and we're going to have races, and we'll see what happens. Are you advising all of your candidates in these races to accept the outcome of their elections, since so many of them are questioning still the outcome of the 2020 race. Well, Margaret, let's remember that's exactly what happened to me with Bill Nelson and Mark Elias. They didn't accept the outcome of the election, and they tried to illegally cast uh, count ballots after election day after I won by 57,000 votes. So, election security is very important to me, uh, and I want to make sure we make sure we do everything we can to make sure people know that the election is fair. Uh, we're already putting together teams, which I had to do in Florida in 18, teams of lawyers and volunteers to make sure these elections are fair. But you accept the elections are, you know, that the integrity of these races that all your candidates are in, or you're only going to have a problem with them if they lose? Well, I'm, I, you know, I won free and fair elections, so I'm going to work my, you know, work hard to make sure, you know, these elections are fair, uh, and then everybody will get to decide at the time. So I, I, I'm still frustrated with what happened to yeah. my race. We had yeah. we spent millions of dollars to make sure we won, and we won election night, and they tried to count illegal ballots after election night. And that's wrong. Very quickly, before I let you go, do you think that the U.S. military should be deployed to defend Taiwan if Taiwan makes China makes a move on it? I think we've got to be very clear that we will defend Taiwan. We've got to be very clear uh, exactly what's going to happen to China with exactly what sanctions uh, is going to happen to China if they invade Taiwan. I think all American businesses need to understand that they're at risk right now if they're doing business there. And I think every American, whenever they see a box that says made in China, they ought to send it back to whoever sent it to them and say, I'll never buy another product made in China. Well, there's a whole story about inflation there, Senator, but that's for another day. We've got to leave it there. Thank you for your time, and I'll let you get back to work there. Face the Nation will be back in a minute. Stay with us. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We turn now to former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who's also a board member at Pfizer, and he joins us this morning from San Francisco. Dr. Gottlieb, um, good to have you back. You have been on this program warning for some time now that monkeypox was passed 
the point of containment. This week, the Biden administration acknowledged it is a national public health emergency. They added two senior advisors to the White House to run point. What difference does it make now? Can they catch up? Well, look, I think they can still catch up. I think there's a potential to get this back in the box, but it's going to be very difficult at this point. We're continuing to look for cases in the community of men who have sex with men. It's primarily spreading in that community. But there's no question that's spread outside that community at this point. And I think we need to start looking for cases more broadly. We're looking for cases in that community, so we're finding them there. But we need to start looking for cases in the broader community. And that means probably testing anyone who presents with an atypical case of shingles or an atypical case of herpes for monkeypox as well. I think we need to broaden testing. And so far, CDC has been reluctant to make that recommendation. I think if we're going to contain this and make sure that it doesn't spread more broadly in the population, we need to start testing more broadly. We have the capacity to do it. Right now, CDC has the capacity to conduct about 80,000 tests a week. They're doing about 8,000. So they can broaden this substantially by changing the case definition Mm -hmm. and recommending that more doctors be testing more patients looking for this infection in the community. Well, to your point about broader spread and illness, Illinois, a daycare worker tested positive for monkeypox and exposed children. The FDA are allowing those kids to be vaccinated. Um, parents about to send their kids back to be back to school. Should they be worried about this now? Look, I don't think this is something that people need to be generally worried about. I think that probably the incidence of this infection in the broader community is still very low. So your your risk of coming into contact with monkeypox is exceedingly low outside of certain social networks where you see a higher case rate. But if we want to contain this, if we want to prevent this from becoming an endemic virus, we need to be looking more widely for it. And the worst case scenario is that we start testing more broadly and we don't find it. And that would be reassuring. But we should be doing that. We should also be testing wastewater for uh, monkeypox. That's something that CDC can turn on instantly, starting to look for monkeypox in wastewater to see if it's spreading in communities and locations, geographic locations, where right now we don't think it's spreading, but it could be. We don't know what we don't know. Uh, On vaccines, we know there is a national shortage. There are two doses of this vaccine that are required. Um, HHS and the FDA said on Thursday that they're looking at a dose-sparing approach to stretch out existing supply. How does that work? What, what, What does that mean? Right. So this decision could come as early as this week. And the emergency youth authorization that they could issue is it flows from the public health emergency that they declared. So this would be the first practical effect of that public health emergency. What they would do is cut the dose by a fifth. So they'd only give one fifth of the dose. And instead of injecting it subcutaneously, so below the skin, they'd inject it intradermally into the skin, so into the top layer of the skin. So think about a test that you get, for example, for tuberculosis, where you used to get an injection under the skin and you'd get a small welt as they injected fluid under the skin. That's an intradermal infection. We know that we inject certain things into the skin in that way. It's very immunogenic. You get a strong immune response. And there's a lot of data that FDA has looked at that was actually collected in the context of trying to prepare for smallpox, a potential outcome with smallpox, where smallpox might be used as a bioterrorist weapon, and how we would extend doses of the smallpox vaccine. Um, What they learned from those studies is transferable to this vaccine for monkeypox. And so they feel very assured that they they can generate a strong immunological response by delivering this intradermally. And that would allow them to stretch out the doses of the monkeypox vaccine they have by fivefold. So instead of having about 800,000 doses, mm-hmm. they would have somewhere between four and five million doses immediately. But, but this is essentially an experiment in real time. 
Um, well, we, we've done it before. I mean, we did it for yellow fever. We've done it for Ebola. We've done these dose-sparing strategies in public health emergencies. It's unfortunate we find ourselves in this position. There's decisions that could have been made earlier where we'd have more doses available. But this is a practical solution um, to a very immediate public health challenge. I want to ask you about COVID now. Uh, President Biden has tested negative twice now. He's out of isolation. Pfizer makes Paxlovid, the drug that the president took. I know you're on the board of Pfizer, as we say. The White House says just 5 to 10 percent of cases have these rebounds. But this is a pretty high-profile case. Dr. Fauci had a rebound, too. Um, does this indicate anything about how someone fares long-term from COVID? How do we understand this? Yeah, well, look, the good news is that the president's feeling well. My understanding is that he didn't experience any new symptoms during this second bout of infectivity. So he was testing positive, but didn't, in fact, mount new symptoms. And that's a good sign. I don't think that he's going to have any long-term implications because he had this second course of illness from, from COVID. Um, we don't know, but I think the president's going to do quite well given what we know about his case. And the White House has been very transparent. Um, you are seeing these cases of rebound. You're right. Uh, so far, the data seems to suggest it's about 5% of cases. You also see rebound with the other drugs, and you see it in the, in the setting of natural infection. It's being studied. Pfizer right now, which, as you mentioned, I'm on the board of, is talking to FDA about doing some additional studies on how to approach these cases, whether or not you recourse the therapy or extend the dose, the, the length of treatment mm -hmm. in certain patients. So we don't know how to yeah. approach this fully right now, um, but it's a small percentage of cases where you're yeah. seeing this phenomena. Quickly, CDC is expected to loosen COVID guidelines for schools. Uh, do you favor this? Look, I think it reflects the reality that more kids are, um, have been exposed to this virus. They're not immunologically naive. We want to do more to keep kids in the classroom. Um, and changing attitudes about COVID. I think there are still ways we can keep kids safe in the classrooms, remain vigilant, and lift some of these restrictions that have caused a lot of kids to have to miss school days. So the test-to-stay strategies, we've turned over a lot of infections that were asymptomatic and forced kids out of the classroom, uh, quarantining kids who were exposed to COVID. I think they can lift those things at this point, and that seems to be where CDC is heading, um, but still remain vigilant. For example, notifying parents when there's a closed contact so parents yeah. can keep an eye on their children and get them tested. All right. Dr. Gottlieb, we'll be watching that. Thank you. We turn now to the state of the economy and the president of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank, Mary Daly. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, uh, the San Francisco Fed said fiscal spending during the entirety of the pandemic, all the congressional funding, contributed 3 percent, 3 percent hike in inflation. Do you expect the congressional bill that's about to pass to add to inflation as well? Well, let's remember that during the time that there was this fiscal relief during the pandemic, there was also monetary policy relief. Mm -hmm. And those were things necessary to get us through the pandemic. So that's why that was such an important component. And history will be the judge whether it was too much or too little. But right now, that's where that was. And my staff have evaluated that. When I look forward, there are so many things going on in the economy right now, both domestically and globally. And we are struggling with high inflation. But the Fed is committed to bringing that down. And we're looking at not only things that Congress passes, but also what happens across the entire world. So do you think this bill will will add to inflation? Has inflation peaked? Can you say that? You know, I really can't comment on pending legislation. And it's really hard to tell because all the details haven't been worked out yet yeah. and or the time frame in which those things will take place. So right now, I think 
you know, the most important thing, Margaret, is that inflation is too high and the labor market is strong. The global economy is struggling with ongoing high inflation. And that's what I'm focused on. You're a labor economist. We had this surprisingly strong jobs number on Friday. Why was it so surprising? What was it that uh, economists missed here? What was your takeaway? You know, it's super interesting. You know, it did surprise everyone who tries to figure out exactly what the number will be. And we were, you know, number of projections were well off. But, you know, frankly, if you're out in the communities, if you're you're traveling anywhere, you're you're just going in your own community. I don't think consumers or workers or businesses were that surprised. There's help wanted signs all over the place. People can find multiple jobs if they want them. Search times for jobs aren't that long. So I think the labor market is continuing to deliver. It just tells me that people want to work and that people want to hire. The but, the universal truth is that inflation's too high. But does it still are, does it indicate that recession is not where we are or where we're going? If you're out in the economy, you don't feel like you're in a recession. That's the bottom line. The most Mm -hmm. important risk out there is inflation. And I think the job market just confirms that. Okay, we're going to take a break and come right back with you. Mary Daly, stay with us. We have more questions. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We continue our conversation now with the head of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank, Mary Daly. Um, In that jobs number on Friday, we also saw that wages rose, but they're not rising as quickly as inflation is. How concerned are you that that shows inflation is really becoming embedded in the economy in a way that is really going to force your your colleagues at the Fed to continue to have to hike rates? You know, I don't see inflation as embedded in the economy, the kinds of things that we would worry about just not being able to correct easily. What I see is supply and demand are just unbalanced. About 50 percent, by my own staff's estimates, of the excess inflation we see is related to demand, the other 50 percent to supply. The Fed is really well positioned to bring demand down, and we already see the cooling forming in the housing market and investment. So I do see signs that the economy's cooling. It just is going to take some time for the interest rate adjustments we've made to work their way through. And we are far from done yet. That's the the promise to the American people. We are far from done. We're committed to bringing inflation down, and we'll continue to work until that job is fully done. So it would still be appropriate to raise rates in September by half a percent? 
Absolutely, and you know we need to be data dependent. It could we need to leave our minds open. We have two more inflation reports coming out, another jobs report. We continue to collect all the information from the context we talk to to see how this is working its way through the economy. But you mentioned you know wage growth a little bit above five percent, inflation last print at nine point one percent. Americans are losing ground every day, so the focus has to be on bringing inflation down. One of the things the Fed can't control is geopolitical risk. How concerned are you about what is happening uh, in the Taiwan Strait right now? Well, there's so much going on globally, and I think that's really something that we need to think about. It's just getting through COVID, making sure the new variants don't derail economic activity. We have central banks across the globe raising interest rates to try to bridle their own inflation. And we have ongoing developments that take place, you know, geopolitically or just more generally uh, among countries. And all of those things, the war in Ukraine, all of those things create headwinds, if you will, for the U.S. economy. And we're going to have to lean against those headwinds for growth while we bridle inflation. Fed has its work cut out, and I know we'll be talking again. Thank you very much, Mary Daly. China Thank launched you. its most dramatic show of military force in decades, with four days of war games off the coast of Taiwan, all in response to Speaker Pelosi leading a congressional delegation to the self-governed island last week. Congressman Gregory Meeks, chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, was on that trip. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Well, you have been globe trotting, but I imagine you'll soon be back in Washington to vote on this big spending bill. It is a big win, potentially, but it's a tenth of the size of the president's original ask. Is what's about to pass and this reduction in gas prices enough to help Democrats win in November? There's no question this is a big and important bill. It reduces inflation. It makes sure that uh, we can now reduce drug prices. It helps on fighting climate change. Uh, and, And we will be moving forward. That goes on top of wins already made in a bipartisan manner during this Congress, like bipartisan wins in infrastructure, gun control, CHIPS and Science Act, PAC Act for the Veterans, uh, select uh, committee, the first black woman elected uh, of appointed to be the Supreme Court. So, yes, this is uh, a icing on the cake of moving forward of Democratic achievements in a bipartisan way in this election year. But despite all of what you just laid out, I, I know you know that many polls, including those from CBS, project that Republicans will win the majority in the House. Can you reverse that? Oh, absolutely. I think that the conversations as we're entering uh, the crucial months of September and October, look, we had an all time low on unemployment rates and we see a court that is regressive and trying to take away a woman's right to choose. We're fighting and standing for that. To your trip to Taiwan, we have seen these dramatic Chinese war games in response to this visit. China cut off some of the diplomatic ties with the United States to protest the fact that you went there to Taipei with Speaker Pelosi. Did this trip backfire by undermining some of the Biden administration priorities? Not at all. You know, clearly uh, the Biden administration, by his presence there and by increasing economic uh, ties there, is something that shows that the region is very important. 
uh, and President Biden understands being a prior member of the Senate, the, you know, the difference between the executive branch and the legislative branch. And so what we have to do at this time, because there's very clearly, it's very clearly a tense moment on the Taiwan Strait. And that's why it's very important uh, that all sides respect the status quo, which we did when we were there, and don't resort to force or to change things. And it's just as important that the United States redouble our economic, cultural, and security cooperation with Taiwan in face of Beijing's aggression. So this was a very appropriate trip at the time for the region. And I think that when we talked to the Taiwanese, they were appreciative of us being there. You should have seen over 250,000 Taiwanese tracked our flight flying in. On the largest building in Taiwan, big signs saying, we love you, Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. People lining the streets uh, when we were driving to our hotel. So clearly the Taiwanese were very happy. No and doubt. let me tell you, we were all of our allies, all of our partners and friends in the region and the other nations that we visited was very happy that we were there. But Beijing, so was, fur very Beijing was furious. They cut off climate change talks with the United States. They've cut other cooperation. Um, and in fact, Beijing said this is the one issue that the U.S. and China, the two most powerful countries in the world, could come into conflict with. Beijing said a visit by the third highest ranking official in the U.S. government on a military aircraft was provocative and sends a strong signal the U.S. is on Taiwan's side. Is the U.S. on Taiwan's we side? We did nothing that was, if you look at provocative, the ones that were sending missiles over Taiwan and, and, and trying to encircle uh, the island was, in fact, Beijing. This was nothing unusual. Members of Congress this year have traveled to uh, Taiwan right. previously. I've traveled to Taiwan a number of times. I've traveled to China. But we're not going to allow, and Speaker Pelosi is absolutely right about this, that to have... Uh, President Xi dictate to us where we should or should not go. We are going to stand by our friends, our partners, and our allies, and clearly Taiwan is one of those. And so the pro provocative, being provocative is not us, it's the Beijing government, and we're just not going to allow that to happen. But in terms of this policy for decades, it's been one of strategic ambiguity. The U.S. sells arms to Taiwan but doesn't promise to actually defend it. Do you need to change that? Does Congress need to prepare for a Chinese invasion of Taiwan? Look, what we have done, and I think that what we have shown we will do, is to give, and we have given, in that policy, defensive weapons to Taiwan. Ultimately, this should be decided by people sitting down and not China and not Beijing and not Xi continue his provocative actions. It is his provocative actions that is trying to right. change the status quo. What we need at this time is the status quo to remain as is. And that is the best way to reduce tensions, not the provocations that are being put on by Beijing. Congressman Meeks, thank you for your time this morning. On Friday, I sat down with Taiwan's representative to the U.S., Xiao B. Kim, for the CBS Evening News. Here's more of our interview. President Biden indicated the military uh, wasn't uh, enthusiastic about Speaker Pelosi visiting. She spoke openly about the risk of her plane being shot down. Did Taiwan ever have that level of concern that there was a risk here? We have been living under the threat uh, from China for decades. Um, and we cannot let their ongoing threats 
define our desire to make friends internationally. Um, if you have a kid being bullied at school, you don't say you don't go to school. Uh, you try to find a way to deal with the bully. And um, that's exactly what Taiwan is doing, uh, working on making our society stronger and more resilient, fortifying our defenses uh, so that we have means of managing risks. Um, the risks are not posed by Taiwan, nor are they posed by the United States. The risks are posed by Beijing. What specifically is that risk? Is it a full-scale invasion? Well, the Chinese have not renounced uh, the use of force. Uh, they have been intensifying threats uh, towards Taiwan. Uh, that is not only on a military level. It has involved a hybrid toolkit of uh, public disinformation, uh, cyber attacks, economic coercion. Uh, they have a broad toolkit that we have become more and more accustomed to. But again, that is not going to um, change our determination to defend our freedom. But what's happening right now is unprecedented. Uh, Beijing has sent 68 warplanes, 13 warships right off your coast. Do you believe that this is just a drill? Well, indeed, China's behavior is unprecedented. And from the scope and the actions, uh, it appears that they have been preparing for this for some time, uh, way before Speaker Pelosi decided to visit Taiwan. China is seemingly showing that it can blockade Taiwan, that can, it can cut you off from the rest of the world. What is the cost of doing something like that? Well, China has been building uh, up their military capacities uh, rapidly uh, over recent years. Um, and what they are doing through these exercises uh, has the potential of jeopardizing some of the most important uh, air and sea commercial routes. I believe uh, they will also jeopardize China's uh, interest in a stable environment under which trade and commerce can function. Such risky and dangerous behavior has implications for the world. Do you have any assurances from the Biden White House that they would defend you, not just sell you weapons, as presidents have for the past 40 mm -hmm. years, but actually come to your defense? We have a very strong security partnership that ensures the protection of our shared interests in the regional peace and stability. Do you believe the timeline for an invasion is moving up? The criticism of what Speaker Pelosi did by visiting is that she is provoking China. Well, I think the word provocation has only one place, and that's with China right now. Uh, they are the ones that are provoking regional instability. So you do not think that this was a mistake and that this visit has backfired? Well, the visit um, has been welcomed by the Taiwanese people. Um, sometimes it's hard for other countries from afar to fully understand the feelings and perspectives of the Taiwanese people, and that is... Uh, for too long, you know, we have been bullied, isolated, and suppressed, and banned from international organizations. So when friends come from afar and wish to lend their support to Taiwan, uh, we generally take that with gratitude. When you talk to Biden administration officials, mm -hmm. they will say, Xi Jinping, the president of China, is taking notes. He is watching what Vladimir Putin is doing right now in Ukraine as a test case to see what he can get away with in Taiwan. What lesson do you think he's learning right now? 
I think we are all learning lessons, and um, the Taiwanese people are also learning lessons, and uh, we are learning that we have to be better prepared. Uh, we have to be stronger in our own uh, self-defenses. Uh, we have to work um, hard to galvanize uh, international support in working to deter that tragic scenario from ever happening. Are you concerned that the West won't stand by Taiwan the way it has stood by Ukraine? China is financially so powerful. It would be hard for the West to cut it off. Well, I think um, that was one of the messages that Speaker Pelosi was trying to convey. And uh, that is, um, you know, despite all challenges, um, we have friends in the international community who will stand with us. And lastly, China has also flexed its diplomatic muscles. It cut off a number of agreements, it says, with the United mm -hmm. States because of this visit, including collaboration on climate change. Are you concerned that the West will look at this and say, it's not worth it, not just on climate change, but on other priorities that outrank Taiwan? Mm -hmm. Well, um, are, are we concerned? Yes, we are concerned about uh, the disruption of these very important discussions on global issues um, that are uh, matters of interest to not only the United States, but to China and everyone in the world. Um, but the fact is, again, uh, visits, congressional visits to Taiwan have been ongoing for decades. Um, and for decades, it hasn't prevented the United States and China from having constructive discussions on matters of mutual interest. And um, I agree with you know, some of the U.S. White House and other statements and the analyses that um, you know, the Beijing government is currently trying to manufacture a crisis um, over um, a practice that has been ongoing for decades and uh, they are using this as a pretext. Um, and I, I think we have to make that clear. Um, if China is to evolve um, as a responsible stakeholder in the global community, it's really up to Beijing to decide if their rejuvenation, if China's rejuvenation will evolve with international respect or with international condemnation. Our full conversation is on our website and YouTube channel. We'll be back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Michigan Congressman Peter Meyer is one of 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach former President Trump following the attack on the Capitol. 
Last Tuesday, he lost his primary race against a Trump-endorsed challenger. Congressman Meyer is with us this morning from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Good morning to you, Congressman. Um, the person who won that primary is an election denier named John Gibbs, and he is backed by former President Trump. Why do you think Michigan Republicans favored him? Well, good morning, Margaret. Um, and as you said, I lost my primary, and that is on me. I take responsibility for that. Uh, but it's important to note that it wasn't just former President Trump who was in this race. Uh, there was about a half million dollars that the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee in their first expenditures of the 2022 midterms dumped in to help boost him. So we had a scenario where not only did I have the former president aligned against me, uh, but in a rare showing of bipartisan unity, Nancy Pelosi and the House Democratic Campaign Committee also united to try to knock me off the ballot. Mm -hmm. uh, now, this just highlights the cynicism and hypocrisy of our politics today. And frankly, it'll be unknowable what that ultimate impact was. But the fact that we have the establishment yeah. left and the extreme right locking arms in common cause uh, paints a very telling picture of where our politics are in 2022. Right. What you're talking about there is um, a, an ad that the Democratic Congressional Committee campaign spent uh, $325,000 on to boost Mr. Gibbs. Um, which was almost as much as Gibbs spent on his entire campaign. That's what you're referring to. That's what our viewers are looking at right there. But do you think that ad really made a difference? I mean, Democrats aren't voting in this primary. It's Republicans. Why did Michigan Republicans fall for this ad? Well, you know, I think there is a, a clear question of, of agency here, of course. And at the end of the day, Republican voters are going to cast their votes as they see fit. Um, I should note that this ad was not aimed at, uh, was not playing on MSNBC. It was not playing in places where Democratic voters might see it. It was yeah. targeted in places to try to sway and convince Republican primary voters to try to give my primary challenger a boost up and over. Uh, and I should add that uh, my defeat was by roughly 3% out of over 100,000 votes cast. We lost by less than 4,000 votes. And I think that's important to remember uh, when you have very close elections like this and obviously competing against very strong headwinds, uh, having a, a Trump endorsed challenger in a party where President Trump still holds over 75 percent approval, uh, that a message of focusing on the substance of what I've been able to accomplish in office. I'm proud that our office is on track to set mm -hmm. a record for the most number of bills signed into law by a freshman, uh, that those type of accomplishments uh, get lost in our current personality politics, get lost in a broader sense. And I think that is one of the fundamental challenges that we have as a country. And that so, is, uh, frankly, frustrating Michigan families yeah. that we are dealing with a politics that does not reward substance, that does not reward you know, reality, but, but that, that focuses mean, on rhetoric and personality above all else. Do you think Democrats are going to get what they paid for here, right? I mean, they're betting that it would be easier to defeat um, Mr. Gibbs than you. Is your district going to go to a Democrat? Yeah, it's important to note this is a district that uh, President Biden won in 2020 by roughly nine points. I was one of five Republicans running for re-election in seats where the where President Biden won in the 2020 elections by eight or more points. And so mm -hmm. uh, while I think there is certainly a cynical calculus at play with the Democrats meddling, uh, this is a risky strategy. It's a dangerous strategy where President Biden is in his approval is so in the gutter that it is hard to see that strategy 
yeah. it is easy to see that strategy backfiring in a spectacular way, which is all the more reason why we should not be embracing the zero-sum idea of politics. We should not be embracing this, this notion that if we can yeah. keep a problem alive, keep it festering, uh, but be able to gain a marginal advantage in the process, that that somehow equates to a victory. I think it's a dark and cynical way of viewing our politics mm-hmm. uh, that, frankly, 48% of the electorate in the primary here rejected. Uh, they, they stood against that cynicism, that they were focused on yeah. somebody who was working to deliver results. Uh, your Republican colleague, Liz Cheney, is about to face a primary August the 16th in her state. Um, former Vice President Dick Cheney, her father, released this video. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Is Mr. Cheney right there? Because 57% of Republicans told CBS News they're more likely to vote for a candidate who gets an endorsement from the former president. Is the former president the leader of the Republican Party or the biggest threat to our nation's republic? Well, I I certainly think that uh, President Trump wants to keep those numbers up. He wants that degree of influence. And and I mentioned earlier the common cause between the extremes on the right and the establishment left. Um, You know, Nancy Pelosi, I think she's waking up every day crossing her fingers that Donald Trump runs in 2024 that he announces well ahead of the midterms, because right now the midterms are set to be a referendum on President Biden's leadership. And Speaker Pelosi and many of my House mm-hmm. Democratic colleagues do not want that. They want it to be a referendum on former President Trump. Right. And I think former President Trump wants that as well. Well, um, we will be watching that primary. And uh, Congressman, thank you for joining us today. We'll be right back. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Republican Senator Rick Scott, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, San Francisco Federal Reserve President Mary Daly, Democratic Congressman Gregory Meeks, Taiwan's representative to the United States, Xiao B. Kim, and Republican Congressman Peter Meyer. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News app at 12 p.m. on Sundays, and it's available on demand on Paramount+. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 
63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.